I just got married approaching three months ago, and we already have two kittens in this time, all right? Because this was, this was decided, this was decided actually before we were even engaged that we were going to get two cats because Nana likes them so much, even though I'm allergic to them, although it actually has not been that bad, okay? So Nana has this kitten video montage, please listen up. Nana has this kitten video montage, it's 1.5 minutes. She loves it so much. She says that it's more important that people watch it than our wedding video. We don't have that much time, but I have a shortened version of it. So Joe, you can press next and then press one more time. So they'll play. This is, this is Taki, she's a Siberian, she's fluffy. So she's two months younger than Chupa. Chupa is short for Chalupa, and Taki is short for Taquito. Okay, and we have like a little jungle gym thing. I had a dog all growing up, but but now um, I'm actually officially I'm officially a cat person now. So that's, that's them. Yeah. Okay. I am a cat person now. Okay. I can tell it's gonna be a struggle. Go back. Go back. Well, anyway, so. We have this saying about Taki. All right, please listen up because I don't have a speaker. Um, we have this saying about Taki that she has some sass in her step and some dump in her trunk because she just has what do you mean? She just poops all over everything. We were we were told that both of them were potty trained. One's a stray. She we had to pay some good money, but she's worth a lot of money if we get some kittens. Um, but we're supposed to leave their potty trained, but they've had some issues. And actually, cats they like to poop in like secluded, dark corners and stuff like that. So Taki one day goes into our closet, poops in the corner, okay? And she has like juicy, terrible smelling poops. And then, and then it doesn't stop there. Chupa, who we are counting on to be the mature older brother, he actually later poops in the same exact secluded part of our closet. And it's actually out of like dominance because with cats, it's like this dominance hierarchy things to like own litter boxes and poop places. And then Taki goes back, poops there again. And so we're like, okay, this is an issue. And so we purchase like these plastic scat mat things that are supposed to stop them. And we start like always shutting the door and really trying to guard this. But next slide, Taki one day, okay, one more. Um, she goes in Mission Impossibles, goes around these scat mats and poops there. And then it doesn't stop there. Literally yesterday morning, literally yesterday morning, uh, Nana and I, we wake up, we're trying to guard the closet, keep the door shut, but we, in the morning we hear a meow and we're like, oh no. Because cats, they make noise when they take dumps. So Nana runs into the closet, grabs Taki. Next slide. Uh, so she's running with Taki, and Taki is pooping as she's running. Into the anyway. James, did you take this picture? I, I took this picture afterwards. It was all moving too fast. All right, I'm going to lose my voice talking over everybody, okay? So, um, so... I, I talk about this as just kind of a silly story to warm up us up a little bit, but this like five cycle of doing the exact same thing is kind of like the Israelites in the book of Judges, right? So next slide. Um, we have this cycle that happens over and over in the book of Judges where the Israelites sin and then some other people comes in 
some other people comes in and oppresses them, and it's often for like long periods of time, like 18, 40 years and things like that. Then they repent and turn to God, and then they're delivered, and then there's some peace, and then they go through the whole cycle again, and it happens over and over and over again. All right, uh, next slide. So at the end of the book of Judges, there's this haunting line. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. All right, let's pray real quick. Hey, God, I thank you that we can be here. I thank you that we can open your word. Um, I pray that right now that you would still our hearts, that you would open us up for what you have to say. I pray that you would speak through me and that um, maybe there would be some, some people here would feel led to pray for me during this. And um, I also ask that you'd help us to take this seriously and really listen to this because I think that there, and I know that there is um, life in, in your word, and I pray that you would teach us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So next slide. We're at the climax of Judges. So this is a three-week series. We're at the climax of Judges, and really it's a climax, in a sense, uh, within the Bible. So the ultimate climax of the whole Bible story is the cross. And every single one of us always has something more to learn about the cross. If you aren't if every single area of your life is not completely flipped upside down by the cross, you haven't understood it yet. And there's still more. There always is more. Um, but even within a climax, there are many climaxes. These smaller mountaintops, smaller than the big one. And the end of Judges and Judges as a whole is one of these climaxes. When you watch a movie, you don't just jump to 90 minutes into the peak of the story. Because then nothing makes any sense. And it's the same with the Bible. When we understand every part of the cover-to-cover Bible, that actually helps us understand the cross and the the ultimate climax because all of it uh, works together. Okay, so uh, next. How does Judges fit into the grand narrative of the Bible? Because it's really easy to just write this off as a story where a bunch of absolutely insane stuff happens. Or we're just like, I don't really like the Old Testament, or this is hard to understand. I just like the easier stuff, like the, the Gospels. But again, every single part of the Bible is there for a reason. And Christians believe that the whole Bible is one unified story. There's a clear message, and through all the ups and downs in this story, all of that supports the core um, message. Next slide. So if you've heard me speak ever, I've probably brought these four words, creation, rebellion, cross, and renewal. And those are four words that I would use to summarize everything that Christians believe, the whole story and the whole Bible. And in particular, we're going to focus today on creation and rebellion because that's what's most interesting here. Creation, meaning that Christians believe that a good God created the whole universe in love. And he did not create us because he needed us, but he desired relationship with us and he wanted us to bear his image. But that we rebelled him. This isn't just that the the bad things we do and the good things that we don't do. This is a rejection of God, arrogance toward him, trying to live life without him, uh, and just trying to be apart from him. It looks like, typically what it looks like for us is taking good things that God has given us and trying to find our life and satisfaction in those, wanting the gift and not the giver, the creation and not the creator. So next slide. Uh, so I say, who is the Israelites and why do they matter? So this is a question I'm probably not have time to answer it, but you can think about 
who even are the Israelites? So the Israelites are God's chosen people. And the whole Old Testament is devoted to these, this people group. And they begin with a na- man named Abraham. Next. Um, and this is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. And so Israel is God's chosen people. Uh, we start with Genesis. God creates. Everything goes to garbage. And then God raises up this family Israel, And this is kind of the commissioning of the people of Israel to the founding father, Abraham. And it says, I, he says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's not choosing Israel and not choosing everybody else, in a sense. He's not, and, and he didn't choose Israel or choose Abraham for anything about Abraham or anything special about him or anything like that. He just chooses him out of his, his, his goodwill. And next slide. So now we go through a couple generations. This is another pivotal verse of the whole Bible. Um, now Israel is a whole people group, and they are in Exodus. God frees them out of slavery, and then God gives them this commission He says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this is going to tie into our passage. All of it will. But so kingdom of priests. Priest is a word that we don't use that often. What what does a priest mean? You, You think of the sacrifices probably in the Old Testament. But ultimately what a priest is is a mediator. So in the Old Testament, a priest was a mediator between God and man. And so when he's when the Bible calls to us to become a kingdom of priests it's saying that we are called to be God and show God and bring God to others be mediators of God to the world and, and again goes back to that blessing and holy uh, holy is another word we don't use that frequently mostly we use it to like um, shame someone or just kind of be frustrated about someone being self-righteous or something like that but holy ultimately means set apart and God is holy. He is different. No one is like God. Okay? So, next. Um, through these two big verses, we see this clear theme of God to Israel saying that something to the effect, to paraphrase it, through you, Israel, I will show the whole world what I am like. And that's a commission that follows us to today. God wants through us to demonstrate that he, who he is, a God of love, abundance, of mercy, justice, goodness, and that he is the only true source of life. Next, so um, Genesis to Deuteronomy, to just have a sweeping overview. We have to talk about creation in Genesis. We've got these first four. Then Israel is now a nation. They're in Egypt. They're enslaved. God saves them miraculously through all these different things. And so now the people of Israel, they're on this journey to the promised land. And there's these three books devoted to it. And these are the books that we often skip over, but it's, but when you understand like the big picture, even like parts of like Leviticus or like Exodus, they actually can start to make sense and you see how it fits in and how it actually matters. Because for example, we see all these laws that are given and it doesn't make any sense to us. Um, but the laws were given to the Israelites, things like animal sacrifice and all these rituals to become made clean. That was to show the world that you are to be a different people by the things you eat, how you act, how you have, how you handle matters of justice in society and care for the marginalized and things like that. It wasn't just animal sacrifices, but that law is given. And, it, and even those 
things like animal sacrifice, it's, it's a picture to the Israelites that there is a penalty for evil. And we, we learn truths of reality through these pictures. But anyway, throughout this whole passing through the promise or the, the toward the promised land, they rebel against God over and over. Actually, ten times is the cycle. And eventually God says, do you want to see what life life without me is like? And he allows them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then next week we get to the book of Judges. Um, they're finally now in the promised land. I mean, this is generations later. All of these cycles of failure of sin and you know, rejecting God and not believing him. Um, and then God providing it over and over. And then they get to the book of Judges, and you'd be like, all right, now is the time that um, everything is going to go right. But actually what happens is they reject him in the book of more, in Judges more terribly than any time before. They're going into the land of Canaan and back to being a holy people in Genesis and Exodus. Um, they were supposed to go to Canaan and be different. They're supposed to be holy and to... Um, yeah, but be different from Canaan. But what they end up doing is picking up all of the practices and all of the evil and they intermarry and intermingle with the people around them and pick up their values and their practices and gods and evils, their sexual immorality, their unspeakable injustice, thoughtless murder, and the horrid practice of child sacrifice, um, among other things. So a question uh, we might ask, like, why are the Israelites so stupid? Okay, right? Anyone have a question for that? Any answer for that? <laughs> because they're human. That's a, that's a great answer. They're human. And next slide. Uh, that's spot on. The, just quick saying, the story of the Bible is our story. And anytime you look at the Bible and you're like, that's not me, that you'll probably, you might, you might find that as you later on. And um, th- there is a lot to learn for every single one of these stories. Um, another thing I think about is in that time, human lifespan was only like 20, 30 years. And so when you think about these cycles of Israel, I mean, these are generations. It's literally kid, you know, grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents between these cycles. And you think about our world and how much has changed just since the invention of the iPhone in 2008. I mean, like... Or you think about how much deterioration happens in our own lives, just on an hour-by-hour or day-by-day or year-by-year basis. And, I mean, deterioration of morally and and turning from God, I mean, that's a constant erosion that just happens. So, anyway, moving on to Judges. Uh, Quick overview of Judges. So, first we've got Othniel. Not much is said about him. Um, Doesn't get a lot of screen time. Next we have Ehud, which John... Uh, Joel talked about two weeks ago, this assassin dude who uh, goes and uh, slays the evil king, hides a sword on his thigh, kills him. He's a really fat guy for some reason. That that was a big fact in the story. And then last week, he talked about Deborah, who is in all ways of looking at it, a a total boss. And uh, so she leads Israel, and God chooses her to deliver Israel, and God chooses to actually deliver the killing blow to the commander of the army through a woman. And then we've got Gideon. And most of you know the beginning of the story of Gideon. And I'm guessing a lot of you don't know the end of the book of, Gideon, of the story of Gideon. He starts off this timid guy who does all of these tests of God with a fleece and everything. And God does this miraculous delivery of the Israelites from Midian through Gideon. But then 
There's another major battle that you do not hear about in Sunday school where Gideon is ramping up for this big battle and there's these fellow Israelites and they don't really help him. And so he's like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to win this battle. I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you uh, who you offended, who you think you are. And then he does win the battle. He comes back and he actually murders a, a number of his fellow Israelites and takes vengeance on other ones. Then he takes all of these expensive jewelry and everything and makes an idol out of it, which people worship. And then he takes, then he just allows all of this deterioration of society, and he even becomes very arrogant and marries a bunch of women. Then we've got Jephthah, and this is this guy who's cast out by his people. He lives in the hills, and it says that worthless men gathered around him. These people that just like, they want to be causing trouble, they go to Jephthah. And Jephthah is a bit of a politician, and he handles all these matters like one. Um, He's, he's a politician, and even though he's just out in the hills, he's not a godly person at all. In desperation, Israel goes to him, and he makes a deal with them, very political. But then when it comes to the climax of his story, he's political with God. And he has no idea who the God of Israel is. And just as a politician says, you give me this and I'll give you that, he says to God, you give me the victory of this battle and I will give you the life of my daughter. And this is a very, it's a vivid picture, but it's sad about what the, lead, what the leaders of Israel look like and how little they actually know their God. And then finally, we get to the book, the story of Samson. And throughout all of these uh, back slides, there are this, there's two themes. There's irony and there's also decline. We go from bad to worse in terms of the, the, the people, but there's also this irony, even from small things like Ehud. He's the left-handed man from the tribe of the right hand. And Deborah, God chooses a woman to, say, deliver Israel. And at that time, that would have been very embarrassing for the men of the time because at that time in history, le leading the army and doing what Deborah did was one of the last things that a woman would do. Then Gideon, he's like this timid, fearful man, and he becomes um, tremendously arrogant. And then we have a man, Jephthah, leading God's people who hardly knows God. And so finally we come to the story of Samson. And so we, uh, next slide. Uh, we love the story of Samson because it's absolutely crazy. Um, if you're a middle school guy, you probably love the story of Samson. I know I did when I was younger. And we were kind of like, yeah, God's powerful. Look at all the things that God, crazy stuff that God does. And we kind of miss um, some of these uh, big themes. So we actually don't have time to go through the whole book of Samson, or the story of Samson, because it's the longest story of all of the, all of the stories in Judges. And so I highly recommend at some point, just go read it. It's really interesting. And when I summarize it, I am sure that your interest will be piqued, and um, I, I would go check it out. So we'll just focus on the high level here. So next slide. In Judges 13.1, it says, And the people of Israel again, and this starts every single cycle in the book of Judges, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Next. Uh, so Samson, what was interesting about him and how this ties back to the word holy is Samson... His mom was barren, couldn't have kids, but God miraculously gives her Samson, blesses Samson, but he also gives Samson the special calling that he is to be a Nazarite. And it comes from number six. It's basically like this collection of things that you would do, like not shaving your hair and not drinking wine. And it was supposed to be an additional way of like showing of like that 
that level of demonstrating set-apartness and holiness through your actions. But normally you would do that for a short period of time, as a time of dedication to God. But in Samson's story, he was to be a Nazarite for life. So next slide. Uh, Act one of the story. We got lion and honey, riddle and 30 outfit of the days, and seven days to live. So Samson, he is a lustful dude. And he goes to the Philistines, actually, which are the oppressors of Israel. He sees a woman. He wants her as his wife. And he literally, it says this in the Bible, he goes to his parents. He says, I have seen a woman, blah, blah, blah. And he says, now get her for me, (laughs) which is just kind of crazy for us to think about. But he does that. He actually does marry this woman. And long story short, like he's on this path. This lion comes out. He literally tears the lion apart with his bare hands. Later, he comes back across the same lion and there's bees and honey inside of this. So he's like, okay, now I've got this great riddle. So later at this party, he has this riddle for the Philistines. He's like, oh yeah, I've got the greatest riddle ever. He's like, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the beast came something sweet, something like that. Off the top of my head, I probably got it wrong. But, um, so he gives them this riddle, and he's like, okay, I'm going to get 30 changes of clothes. And changes of clothes was a big deal at this time. It wasn't cheap like it is now with all the Instagram merch brands and all that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, 30 outfits. Um, but anyway, his wife gets threatened by the Philistines. They say, give us the answer to the riddle. We're going to burn you and your house and your family. And uh, so, of course, she does what many would expect, and she tries to convince Samson to get the answer. Uh, Samson's furious because that happens, and then he goes out and murders 30 people and gets their clothes. Crazy. Okay, next slide. We've got Act 2, okay? And moment of silence. After this happens, Samson's wife is given to his best man. Basically, the worst thing that can possibly happen to a dude, and so he's furious about his, that as well. So he takes some vengeance. He takes torches, ties them to foxes, and sets them throughout all the crops of the Philistines. Causes all sorts of mayhem. Then the Israelites are like, "Samson, what are you doing? You're making the Philistines so angry at us." So three thousand men confront him, and they're like, "Can we please just tie you up and take you to the Philistines?" He's like, "Okay, you can do that as long as you don't kill me." So they tie him up. They take him to the Philistines. Drop him off. And then he bursts the ropes like they're like hot flax, as the Bible says. And then he just murders a bunch of people with the bone of a donkey. Like a thousand people, it says. Okay? Crazy. Second, third slide. Act, in the, act three in the final act. He has this little sex scandal with a prostitute. And then to escape, he just busts the gates off the city and walks off. Then the story closes with a woman named Delilah. And it says that he really does love this woman. But she must not love him because she sells him out for money. Um, And so she gets money from the Philistines, and she's trying to get the secret of his strength, which from the beginning of the story is his strength is somehow connected to his hair and not being cut. And so Samson, he gives her like these three creative lies, basically, and every time she literally does it to him in his sleep. And it's like, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And then he'll just like bust out of the whatever she did to him. And then she is just like crying and she's like, oh, you lied to me. You don't love me and all these things. So she's a very persuasive woman if she gets Samson to do this for four rounds. But finally on the fourth round, it says that Samson was vexed to death from all of this persu- this uh, nagging, and he tells her the secret of his hair. His hair gets cut, and the Philistines come in, they gouge his eyes, they take him as a slave, and he lives that way for a long time. 
but time goes on. The Philistines are arrogant. He's just working as a slave. Um, and time goes on, and he, people don't know about his hair thing. And so the Philistines, they have this massive feast, and they're like, ring out Samson for entertainment. Uh, because it's just like this person who did all this damage to us. Look how pathetic he is now. And um, so they put Samson, he's blind, so he leans up against the pillars. And as many of you know, he cries out to God in this time of desperation and asks God for vengeance for his two eyes. And God answers him, and he gives him strength one last time. He brings down the pillars, the whole thing falls. And it says that more Philistines were killed in his death than in his life. All right, next. So, uh, well, okay, quick, quick note on this. There's a lot of times it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, although Samson does a lot of questionable things. I was thinking about this on the way here. Um, I don't know if I should make this reference, but like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. I was thinking, <laughs> I mean, you've seen it. It's been like everywhere, but it's like the Academy Awards does not condone Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. God does not condone a lot of the things that happen from evil people. He doesn't condone polygamy, forgetting and all that evil, or the arrogant, lustful things that Samson does. But still, he decides to use people. And so, um, moving on. Next, we've, we've got, I've got an illustration. So, holiness. It's that being set apart. An illustration. Could you, next slide. Uh, I think holiness, next, is like camping. We kind of think of it as like like that extra burden that you go over, that extra stuff that you, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And, it, and it's kind of for those diehard people who want to do more, you know, um, but it's not for me. And it's like you, you do all the, the tent and it's harder to cook and all that stuff. And we think of it as this add-on. Real quick, we're closing up. So we... We're Americans, and we really love cheap grace. We like this gospel that's just a gospel of minimal entry requirements that we can just blast out and spread and make it really big and really huge. But that's not what the Bible um, is about. Next. Um, So we have in this story, Egypt, like Egypt enslaves Israel. They get saved. And then we see in Judges that they go from enslavement to Egypt to enslavement to self. They become their own worst enemy. And that's something that we have a lot to learn from. Next, the Bible talks about the the straight and narrow path. It is so common today to be a Christian and just do it the easy way. And it's very common in Texas too. But... And this is the path that most people will take. And beware if your version of Christianity is the easy and popular one. Uh, it's like that path is like a highway and that highway is crowded. And it's probably now more like autonomous vehicles cruising at 60 miles per hour, not even traffic, I guess. Um, but kind of closing with like reflection next we, I, I have a question. How similar is your life and your desires to everyone else's? Samson was supposed to be holy, like a Nazarite, but what he ended up being was just an archetype for all of Israel, of becoming like Canaan and the world around them. And I, quick thing, I would say, like, this slide is not my slide in the sense that I'm praying that the Holy Spirit moves in people here and that he convicts you because... 
I can never do that with any pretty slides or anything that I say. And we, like, it just says Israel and its corrupt leaders fell to arrogance and apathy toward God. This is a great word. It basically means not caring much. Uh, we still do that. Next. We, in being similar, some ways that you can think about it is what is your input? Are you following the same celebrities, playing the same video games, watching the same streamers, YouTubers, movies, TV shows, anime? Like your consumption levels, is that the same as everybody around you? Because there, there's a lot of consumption in society today and just taking in, it's like you know, garbage in, garbage out. And do you have like silence in your life to be with God and be changed and have quiet time? And, and what's the output of your life? Like what you wear? Are you a person of discontentment, disdain for siblings, disrespect for parents, or anger or vengefulness? Next. Um, a quick note I wanted to say is that holiness is not legalism, fundamentalism, self-righteousness, or intolerance. And that's just something I really felt led to say today because I think that this is a prevalent lie of the devil that is huge right now. To just take any holiness and any really pursuing God with everything and just make that some uncool thing and label it all of these different things. And so I just wanted to call that out. Um, and finally, um, the, the Bible has some illustrations for what it is like. This is Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I, I, another way of saying this is like you're always being one of these two things. You're always being conformed or you are being transformed. Following God is like running up a downwards escalator. The, the escalator is going downwards. I don't know if you've ever run up a downward escalator. I definitely have many times. Maybe not recently. But if you are just following God nominally and just like everyone around you or just like the Christians around you or just showing up to this and just kind of existing, that's, I mean, you might think you're moving upward, but the escalator is moving downward and all the forces are pulling you backward. And um, it, it, the Bible says like our sin is like we're like dead at the bottom of the pool and God pulls us out. And yet even when we're saved by grace, we still live in our sin and it's like we're jumping back in. We're like a dog that returns to its vomit, the Bible says, or add a kitten that returns to its poopy corner of our closet. Um, it's like we have the keys to the chains and the shackles of everything that brings us down, but that we actually leave them on. Um, and the final slide, actually, I know I've lost slides. The Bible is a mirror, and this is my closing idea. The Bible says that the person who sees God's truth and is like moved and then just kind of like moves on with life, it's like a person who sees themselves in a mirror and learns who they really are, who God is, who they are in light of that, and then just moves on and completely forgets what they look like. It says in James 1. And so my my call would be is to be like let the bible expose you and study it and study it well on the whole thing and let it expose you because when you're exposed that is the path of life where we're able to see everything that is broken with us and we can actually receive healing and so as we go into um, small groups one way to like really pursue holiness today is to be vulnerable with your group. And if God has convicted you of something today, 
to have the boldness to speak up and share that in community. Confession in community is so powerful, and that is not something that we American Christians are very strong at. So I challenge you in that today. So I'm just going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to take off.